0: Listening
1: to the Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to the Cooler Ring. My name is Jeff White, and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, what's going on? Ah, well, uh, what's going on
2: is um, I think uh, a huge amount of interest in today's uh, guest. Actually, uh, yeah. that's uh, um, uh, Jeff. I got to say, I'm really. I know that we've we've talked a, a fair bit uh, about. Um, you know, uh, about digital disruption and Amazon specifically in the disruption of B2B. It's come up in previous episodes, but I I don't think we've ever been able to dive in as deeply as we're going to be able to do today. And uh, so that, that I think, um, for if you're a manufacturing marketer uh, listening to today's episode uh,
1: or a distributor marketer
2: indeed. Well. Yeah. Buckle up because uh, we, I think we have a lot of insight here around uh, the disruption that's currently unfolding um, uh, primarily uh, at the hands of Amazon and uh Without further ado, let's introduce our guest.
1: Absolutely. So joining us today is Bruce Merrifield Jr., who is the president of the Merrifield Consulting Group and a partner at Waypoint Analytics. Thanks for joining us on The Cooler Ring, Bruce. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. It's fantastic to uh, to get a
2: chance to chat with you again, Bruce. And uh, um, why don't why don't we just start by uh, getting a bit of a, just give us a bit of background uh, for the benefit of our listeners Uh Help them understand who you are and uh, where you come from.
0: Uh, you know, I've spent my entire career in independent distribution channels. So there are some kind of distributors that you know distribute ingredients that go into a factory, and the factory takes the ingredients and makes something out of it. Those would be OEM distributors. But then, you know, once the factory makes something, they've got a whole good, so they're wholesale distributors to you know sort of sort to, to, of to delineate two different types. But those are those channels are historically been largely populated by you know small independent regional kinds of distributors. They're all being rolled up by private equity people these days. But um, I got into that space uh, the summer between college. And I went directly to business school. And the Wheeler dealer I was working for was building a chain of primarily printing paper distributors at the time, back in 1972. And uh, so he said, look, I'll pay for your entire B school education if you come work for me, you know, at a a handsome salary, and then I will burn the cost of your education off the top of your salary. So I, I showed up at Harvard Business School as an indentured slave. All my buddies are going to Wall Street, working for McKinsey, and I was going to go be the assistant branch manager of the peoria paper company because he was based out of st louis he had six locations and he was lo- just losing money in peoria as a dog he had bought a couple of years earlier so that was the beginning and you know i i basically pioneered uh, order size economic analytics uh to basically turn a big losing company into a big winner and then we bought more companies and i kept turning you know uh you know Cross into gold. And I thought, wow, I'm making him rich. I should do this on my own. So I started my own consulting niche in 1980, January of 80. And it really is a viewing post to find my own acquisition turnarounds, which I subsequently did, but I kept continuing doing the traveling guru business professor guy. So when forums of distributors were put together by their National Trade Association or their buying group or their They're their number one best manufacturers, they're ERP software vendors, they would hire me, tell them how to run their business better, get along better, whatever. And so I've been doing that, you know, for, for, for a long time. And then 10 years ago, I got involved with Waypoint Analytics as a side thing, where we had pioneered... Uh, coming up with a profit equation at every, for every line item event that goes through a distribution company. So if you look at the margin dollars in the line or the pick and you come up with a cost to serve dollars, then you can come up with a profit or loss dollars in the pick. Then you can add them all up and you get your year end P&L, but you can also add them all up and get a P&L in every stock keeping unit in your warehouse, every vendor you do business with, every sales mm-hmm. territory, every customer, et cetera. And when you have this kind of information, it reveals huge cross-subsidies amongst both customers and SKUs. The stock keeping units aren't inherently unprofitable or profitable by themselves. It's how customers buy them or how you let customers buy them. If a customer wants to buy the equivalent of one AA battery, and as a human being, you want to go in your warehouse and pick one and put it in a plastic bag and print a barcode and put that on there and scan the barcode to get it into the 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 order as another one of the line items and you want to spend, you know, fifteen bucks to get fifty cents in margin dollar markup, uh, you're gonna lose, you know, on, on that kind of item. But but they don't know that because they're not looking at order size nor they the cost to serve is a is a mystery. It's not in their PL. They don't know what it is. So
2: Bruce, let's um yeah. So, so I mean this is at the crux of what we're trying to dive into today and really help people um you know, kind of understand how this huge blind spot that they have is impacting or about to impact their ability to compete in a massive way, essentially in the age of Amazon. Right. So connect these dots for our listeners, this notion that people do not understand profitability at the SKU or per customer level um, and how uh, the new Amazon reality uh, plays into that.
0: Um. Well, you know, Amazon. There, if you look at their history, they they started off as an online bookseller, just as a way to get into uh, digital customer value channels creation. Uh, they went went after books because there were three million books in print, and there are twelve million books that aren't in print in the English language, which you know the used booksellers piled on to the marketplace. So you know, any oddball item book you you could find at Amazon, which you wouldn't find at your local bookstore. Um, and then, you know, their artificial intelligence, and if you bought this, you're going to like that and all that sort of stuff. That was great. Well, then they realized, wait a minute, we have so many eyeballs. We don't have to run over to the distributors to get the the goofy books. Or the, the, the new, the new, the new printed ones, we can actually buy the two percent of the books that are fifty percent of the volume and just discount them because we don't have the infrastructure cost of these, you know, Barnes and Noble. So then they went after what's called the fat head of the of the long tail. If you Google long tail, you know, you'll you'll see these these sort of parabolic looking kind of things where, you know, the tail is. Super long, but it's just tiny little bits of sale. But if you add up the entire tail, it's equal to about, you know, the the fat head. The few the few things that are the big volume, and that that pattern pretty much works for for everything that uh, you know we consume uh, as far as um, stuff. And um, so they went after category after category and B to C. When it came to B to B, there's so many different SKUs. And a lot of these SKUs get processed, you know, you buy a big roll of wire and you cut a hundred feet off and you ship that out to a contractor and he only wants to buy so many, you know, feet of pipe, you know, conduit, you know, if you're an electrical wholesaler, there's a little bit of value added you do within your warehouse and and you have one-stop shopping, you know, Amazon is all about spot buy. I'm looking for one particular item that, you know, is sensitive. So, Why do people go to Best Buy and showroom only certain items? Why do people go to Amazon to check prices on big volume price sensitive kind of things? So Amazon business does not say, oh, you buy 500 different maintenance, repair, and operating items on a statistical annual basis. Let us create an integrated sole supply supply somewhat automated relationship for you. I mean, smart distributors do that, but Amazon can't. They just are selling a spot buy of an item. So they they said, well, let's let, you know, a zillion B2B resellers curate and load up, you know, 7 trillion, you know, oddball, goofball, part items, you name it. So every B2B buyer will buy from two sources. They'll buy the big volume stuff from some local distributor on a big contract basis, not worry about it. It's on automatic pilot. But all the little goofy stuff, I'm going to Amazon. So really every B2B buyer now goes to Amazon, you know, to use them for long tail stuff. So Amazon controls the eyeballs, they've got the clickstream, they monetize that with advertising. But now a B2B buyer might say, Well, wait a minute, I need to buy a uh, 50-gallon, you know, AO Smith water heater because i'm a plumber and five or ten times a year i gotta put new water heaters into you know homes or something i'm gonna just go check check on amazon so he types in ao smith number one brand he types in the sku number and of course because you know they're number one and they have the the biggest best distributors and they've got a brand and you know they don't want to upset their distributors and but there's some clone I mean, I've never heard of it before. It's a new brand name I'm, I'm looking at, but it's half the price and it's, you know, got five reviews. And I'm thinking, what the heck? And I'm reading the reviews and I'm looking at frequently asked questions or whatever. And this is the manufacturer. A lot, of, a lot of, you know, U.S. manufacturers have outsourced the manufacturing of their stuff. Think Apple with their iPhone. They don't make those phones. Cisco, the internet, you know, infrastructure company, they make none of their stuff. It's all outsourced. So it was very fashionable to, you know, take care of cheap labor in Asia and bring it back here. Now, those Chinese manufacturers with the Amazon Accelerator brand program can instantly take the number one selling SKU, come up with a creative, clever brand, and then tomorrow make it visible every time you type in the number one brand and or that SKU, boom, that pops up right there with its reviews, all its information, maybe info, video clips, whatever. Um, So it's very rich because Amazon is going to help you do all that. I mean, if you want to go to Amazon and look at how well they advertise the Amazon Echo speaker, for example, you know, that's the capability as far as digital management, you know, stuff you can have. Resellers are not going to do a good job on cyberspace of your B2B presentation, how you look. And there's infinite shelf space. So the barriers to entry of let's land on the West coast and see if we can get distributors to stock and push our stuff. That just evaporated. It's gone. So what does this mean? You know, uh, I think, first of all, brands are say, wait a minute, I need to sit down and I need to type in all my different things and see what's popping up. And, you know, and if, you know, I've, I've, I've got to figure out how I'm going to use Amazon's tools, pay their advertising to make sure when people put my brand in there, Boom, my brand is there. My story is well told. I'm going to have to figure out how to discipline my channel, my distributors, because I don't want them to be upset and get in a food fight and reverse auction on selling items. But then there's a bigger economic problem, which is the entire channel from the factory through the distributors has got a markup mentality, a lens they look through that doesn't see the net profitability. And that's why, you know, if you go to into a, a deep discounter like Aldi or Lidl, or Trader Joe's, I mean these are U.S. locations. I hope they have them in Canada too. Um, and or you go to a Walmart or whatever, and you look at their store brands, they're just they're they're perfect clones of the fastest moving. If you think of 31 flavors of ice cream, they knock off vanilla, maybe chocolate and strawberry, and that's it. They'll knock off the long tail. Because the cost of producing and distributing those for less, 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 and less volume is higher and higher per scoop, but they charge the same price per scoop. So they have this general democratic uh, markup model. And you say, well, you know, really you have to charge 50 bucks for flavor number 31, you know, because the, the the batch production cost is so high for per, per pound, you know, the cost of getting it through the channel and what you don't sell. Well, then nobody would buy it. And nobody buys it, frankly, at the subsidized price either. So the manufacturers have massively overshot on their their full lines. And they're only looking at markup. They're not looking at the margin dollars in the pick or the line item versus the cost to serve dollars. That original profit equation I talked about, that's why you go into... A big fancy store and you look at all their big, big, fancy, high definition TV things, and when you zero in what you want, you scan the barcode, you can buy it for less from Amazon. You do. That's called showrooming. But now you have two screens and you can do web rooming all day long. So if I go to a distributor site and I look at that, I'll go check at Amazon, the same thing, and you know, see that I can buy the same brand for less. Manufacturers need to discipline that in their ways you can. Um, or you see the clone. And the way to solve the clone is most of these manufacturers are going to have to truncate their lines. They're going to get rid of about 15, 18 flavors. And then they're going to have to stop doing the cross-subsidizing markup schedule. And then, you know, when as far as the total customer experience, if I 24-7, 365 on my little phone, I want to check on something, the manufacturers have to be there They have to have great digital content. Um, And then if I want to buy something right away, they can't necessarily say, oh, well, here's a list of our distributors, find one nearest you, you know, and then you do, and they, you know, don't have it and you call them and they don't know what what the hell you're doing. It's not a seamless, you know, experience. Basically, if I say, ooh, this is really cool, it's answering all my questions, which raises new questions. I wanna chat with an expert 24-7, 365. Wouldn't the manufacturer staff that in an internet medium as opposed to go to your local distributor nine to five, Monday to Friday. And then if they actually wanna buy something, it's a part or whatever, You know, as long as they're willing to pay freight and pay a retail kind of price from the factory, why wouldn't the factory sell that direct? So they're disintermediating the distributor as far as information, education, uh, and even sample, whatever. But they can re-intermediate and say, hey, distributor, in your area, we just shipped this particular item, this guy, this address, and this is all the stuff he looked at and whatever. You know, follow it up to get the repeat, you know, sales on a, on a, on a continuous replenishment kind of contract, which distributors can do in Amazon.
2: Bruce, there's just so much to unpack in in what you just said, and this is exactly why we wanted to have you on the show because you're just a, a wealth of, of of knowledge about this and and uh, and you have a very compelling way of, of delivering the information. You've just painted a picture where uh, B2B buyers are, uh, I thought it was just a, a very powerful, simple statement that they will be buying from two different people they will be buying that long tail from Amazon, and that's essentially prepping them for, um, uh, it basically will make them ripe for the pickings for that private label second opportunity that comes up at the head. Um,
1: That is going to be much more profitable uh, for Amazon and uh, the manufacturer.
2: Precisely. And, And you've also painted, I think, a very clear picture of how the lack of understanding of profitability at the SKU level um uh, basically it could potentially drive manufacturers to um to 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 uh, basically the wrong answers to the questions that they're asking about how to how to deal with this challenge mm-hmm. and then and then you prescribe um a very aggressive um uh, digital transformation agenda where you're saying that manufacturers need to uh get Really busy, really fast, uh, creating these direct online channels with their customers, and understand um, how to re-integrate uh, distributors into that model in a way that serves the future, not in the way that serves what we used to do in the past. Right.
1: Well, and I have to wonder too how many of those manufacturers are going to be interested if they're able to create their own profitable distribution channels for that fat head, especially. You know, how many are going to be interested in continuing to work directly with distributors if they can do the same thing themselves better with better content and all of that? Like, do you, how many are going to bother?
0: Well, that, that's a bit of a stretch. Um, there will be, for example, the first truckload of printing paper products uh, sold actually by a distributor went through Amazon Business in April. You know, and it got a little bit of a PR thing, and I posted it with a curated sort of, you know, preamble on on LinkedIn. Um, And uh, how long is it going to take where, let's say I'm a number two, three, four, you know, market share brand thing, and I'm making a very freight-sensitive product. Most of these manufacturers who make very freight-sensitive stuff think Styrofoam cups. I mean, you're shipping whipped cream around, okay? So it's very poor quality freight. You can't ship very far before freight kills you. And the guy who's got a, you know, styrofoam cup factory, you know, it's all lights out, you know, kind of place, you know, is going to beat you. So, um, but that the these manufacturers still will, out of some plant up in the Fox River Valley in Wisconsin, they'll ship stuff to the West Coast and the East Coast over mountain chains on full truckloads. And um, so you wonder... You know, when some, some number three or four brand says, wait a minute, as far as the apples and the apple carts, I only got two, three, four, five 5% share. Uh, why don't I blow up the apple cart if I can get 10% share? Now, the guy who's got 80% of the apples, he doesn't want to blow up the apple cart, right? I mean, you know, Kodak invented digital cameras, but they said, we can't sell these digital cameras the way we really should because we won't have any film. That's how we make all our money. And so they, you know, they blew it. Um, so the, the marginal guy would then say, I'm going to hop on Amazon business. I'm basically going to have a, you know, build your own order. In other words, as long as you can order even cases or skids and add up to a truckload, the price of the total order of the lines, you know, more and more cases per line, the price starts to drop more and more skids. The price starts to drop. You know, you get to truckload and they give you a little game on how to play it, but It's FOB the factory. So, you know, it only looks compelling to distributors or big end users who are within a 100, 200, 300 mile radius of the factory. So rather than having 50% regional share and, you know, 5% share all over the country, why don't you have 100% share regionally and get 10% total share of the market from 5%? It will happen because why not? You know, when you have nothing to lose and everything upside and Amazon's got the eyeballs, that's going to happen. Now, what do you do if you're a factory shipping straight truckloads of stuff? So the, you know, the how these channels will unweave and reweave is very contextually dependent upon lots of variables. So you know, there will, and an and Amazon business is not going to put distribution channels out of business. They exist because they bring in big quantities of stuff that are freight sensitive. They break it down, reassort it and ship it out. Simple hub economics. That's why all distribution things, hub airports, et cetera, exist. So they're not inflation causing middlemen, you know, whatever. However, what will happen in a in a in a world where you have radical product transparency, anything you want to know, videos, you name it, with reward points, Amazon's got a patent on that one. Um, the uh, you know pricing, you know reverse auction, you know it's all going to be there. And so in that world, you're going to have to manufacturers to say, hey, depending on parts of my line, you know I'm going to have to disintermediate some of the things my distributors did. Other hand, with information, I may be able to re intermediate them. So there still will be a need for local distribution, again, to go particularly out and craft sort of one stop shop, get everything you need to you at the the consumption point or to and through your business. That's the low, low, lowest total procurement cost. Amazon is a spot buy sort of business model. It's not easy to say, all right, here are the you know, 40, 50, 60 items that I use on a regular basis all year round, enter them all in, give me a contract and then get them here. And, you know, with peculiar needs and some special stocking items and you know, whatever, it's just, there's just too much hair there. So, um, but it's, it's a paradigm change. I mean, it's a little bit like the, the world running around thinking the earth's flat, you know, and then somebody goes West and finds a whole new country, you know, uh, or, to think that the, the the earth is the center of the heavens, as opposed to the third rock going around a mediocre star. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that had invested interest in the old order of things. And so when you come up with these ideas, you know, the entrenched, you know, management, they you know it's been their, their, their value is based on what they know of the last 20, 30, 40 years. They're gonna make their most money in the next five years. They don't want to upset the Apple cart. They really just want to have you exterminated. So, you know, this is not, you know, first people will ignore what I'm saying, then they get angry and want to kill me, you know, and then finally, you know, the next generation may sort of adopt it. But, you know, it's 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 a big when I, I look at people and say, But what's your cloud your B2B cloud e commerce? oh uh, look. They have no idea what I'm talking about. And they, they think that somehow that's like ten years out in the future. They don't get exponential, you know, uh, digital that's going on.
1: The Cooler Ring is proud to be a media sponsor of the 2019 Manufacturer Summit Conference, which is being held September 16th to 18th in Chicago, Illinois. Carver and I will be live on site, recording interviews for future episodes of the Cooler Ring. You can save two hundred dollars now with the discount code coolerpartners Partners Two Hundred at Summit.com. That's ManufacturedSummit.com
2: I think what they don't understand is that it already happened um, once very successfully on the B2C side yeah. um, and those muscles have now been honed uh, <laughs> and, um, and and the- because of that uh, it's going to happen faster on the B2B side I well, would
1: guess. The, the product's are much more expensive on the b2b side like the the ups the upside for amazon is significant
0: well and you know if you look at it sort of a generational phenomenon if you look at the the demographics of how rapidly millennials digital natives are moving into b2b buying positions you know it's going to be all millennials in the next two three years It's, it's going that fast Amazon is their, the app is their number one, statistically their number one most used and popular app on their phone. Amazon has close to 100 million prime memberships in the U.S. of 126 million households. They basically own the households that have 100% of the discretionary spending. So we have been taught to get a seamless, fantastic customer buying journey experience in our personal lives. Now we want that in our business lives. And Amazon is saying, great, we'll capture your eyeballs for all the long tail stuff. And then you're going to start to come here and just check prices on the very big ticket items. And you're going to wait a minute, there are they're, they're clones here I didn't know about. And they look as good as the number one brand vanilla. And the, but the price is a lot less. I'm going to give my distributor last look. And what did the distributor say? Also, distributors, if you think of these push channels, they star factory reps. Some channels are actually three levels. They're factory reps to master wholesalers who've got their reps talking to distributors. And their reps are going to talk to you and me on a time and territory basis. Because it used to be 100 years ago, it was fashionable. Have a guy come in and take stock and figure out what you wanted. And he'd come up and say, hey, mom and pop. Here's what's low and what you need. Okay. At, and I'll place the order with my distribution company, like a bread man, you know, or a, a Frito-Lays. They still do it in direct store, you know, kind of stuff. And the idea was if you make a lot of calls on a regular basis, then you, you're the medium's the message. You can be relied on. You're trustworthy. You come from my neighborhood. You're from my tribe, whatever. Relationships, that's really important. Well, each one of these guys basically gets paid all in about five percent of their respective sales. Well, when you go to an Amazon channel, it's all in the cloud, there are no people. There's no paperwork kind of things. So the costs are a lot less because they've disintermediated outside inside salespeople. And millennials don't want to see these salespeople on a regular basis with donuts. They're sort of multitasking phrenic. They want a twenty four, you know seven, three sixty five on their phone. They want to do purchasing at home. They, you know, they, they, why not? And um, so, you know, now distributors will say, well, I have lots of customers who are very loyal. Yes, my 92-year-old mother still gets three printed newspapers a day. My children have never bought newspapers. So, you know, great. The newspapers still have got customers, but they're dying. So the the, the loyal non-digital buying you know, I need psychological maintenance, be my friend. You know, I got small orders, I'm dying. Great, you've got a moribund group of loyal customers who are going to start dying and disappearing very rapidly. The new millennials are coming along. So, how are you going to downsize your sales force, but upgrade the quality? Because we need people can, who can answer next level questions, not the primary questions that can be taken care of with digital education just in time online. And then how? How I have to ask each customer, how do you want me to interact? You know, well, uh, you only have to come out here when I ask you to come out here. Otherwise, you know, what's your phone number? I want to text you 24-7. Can you set up a little virtual meeting like we're doing right now? You're in Halifax. I'm in Aspen, Colorado. Um, who needs to travel? It's too expensive, right? So these channels have got a huge salesforce reinvention e selling uh you know challenge in addition to just the 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 ongoing cross subsidization that's built into their 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 robust lines with their standard markups
2: you you, you paint a very interesting uh picture of of this manufacturer distributor relationship and how it has to shift i'd like to just Um, I wonder, even for the purposes of illustration, do you know uh, of any uh, manufacturers that on the B2B side that seem to have really been, at least in some of their initial steps, are tackling this appropriately or well uh, in terms of how they integrate with with distributors at this level? Um, And and if not, just kind of, can you maybe paint a picture of, of, of how they ought to maybe think about it?
0: You know, I, I think one sort of curious thing to look at is the tire channel. Um, now, this is sort of a B2C phenomenon. But if you look at the different categories of products that Amazon sells, they do very well, obviously, with books, but they don't do well with, with tires historically or batteries because they're very big and bulky from a freight point of view. And then, I, you know, you ship me four tires to my house, you know, what am I going to do with them? So they're, they're very clever. They said, why don't we come up with a workaround? Why don't we go to national tire and battery people? So Sears was first, then Monroe here in the States, and then Pep Boys. I mean, they've added some more people, partners. Now when you go and you, go, you, you type in at Amazon passenger tires, you're going to get over 4,000 hits. If you click on Prime first, you still get over 3,000 hits. So now it's a, it's a food fight as far as advertising to see whose tires are at the top when you start to put in all the little attributes you want. You know, get the model car, you want snow tires, you know, there are all sorts of things. And they, 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 they allow you to search and zero right in. And then there's a little button saying, you know, you can, you can ship these to your, your, your the tire installer of your choice. So when you go to check out, you put in your location or they know your location and they show you the closest people to your house and you can say oh pep boys or whatever and you can see the price they charge to install the tires which is a discount they give prime members a discount to install the tires at pep boys or Moreau or sears and so you book the time and you drive your car and you meet your tires there well when that happened what does that do to the independent tire and batteries installer guy I mean, you go to any town and there are two or three of these people who have one, two, three, four locations, and they're buying tires from their tire wholesalers. And so the big brands, you know, are selling to the wholesalers who sell to these these mom and pop or these regional chains or whatever. They're not in the national deal with Amazon. So the two 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 pairs of two of the four biggest brands put merged together. To create a master distribution thing. One is called Tire Hub, and that's you know Bridgestone and and Goodyear or something. And uh, they first the first thing they did was they went to a huge rollup. Uh, I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but it was a private equity had rolled this. Thing. It was like a two billion dollar national tire distribution chain with two like two billion dollars of the debt. And they said we are no longer going to sell you. We're gonna cut we're gonna cut you off and we are gonna we're basically gonna really work with the independent tire dealers because they like to promote our brands and then the other tire wholesalers. So to make a long story short, the whole channel has changed because Amazon controls the eyeballs and they came up with this clever workaround. So you're going to see those kinds of shifts. Now that said, I mean on a on a you know the, 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 the manufacturers that probably will be most aggressive on Amazon would be, first of all, the Chinese manufacturers that can now evaporate the, the barriers to having your own brand and being right there, digital, real-time, dynamically. You type in some, some generic category thing, boom, there, there, there's the new brand. Uh, they're going to be most aggressive. Then the established manufacturers who are third fourth place say blow up the apple cart i'm going to get more apples than i had before and they're going to start to be more aggressive as far as how they disintermediate because they don't have any distributors you know sell their stuff anyway and then that's going to force number one and two to say wait a minute i have to be where the eyeballs are and i've got to control the digital content the info videos etc and then I have to follow that buying journey, all the you know, and, and and basically orchestrate, make sure that's taken care of. How I disintermediate some of what my distributors do, but not all of it, and how I re-intermediate them—that remains to be seen. But then we still have this, you know, this this hundred-year-old infrastructure, cost, business model, channel, starring outside and inside salespeople who are going to be, we're going to need a lot less of them, and they're going to need to have different information, if you will, next second level questions and issues or whatever. Um, And then the cross subsidy of our products, you know, as far as our markup structure, they've got to overhaul that too. And to to unweave something like that and reweave it, that's going to be a big challenge. And you know the, the the people. There's going to be the quick. There's going to be the dead. You already see it in retailers in the U.S. Basically, Walmart, Target, Home Depot. They've stepped up. They're spending billions and billions of dollars to say, "Where are the eyeballs? What's the channel experience going back? The buying journey? What new warehouses do I have to have? What new capabilities? They're working their tail feather off doing that. And there are other people are sort of sitting there trying to meet you know quarterly numbers, and they're fading. So. Uh, you know the and the bigger opportunity may not be are we fighting sure we want to blunt amazon businesses inroads or clone products but the truth of the matter is if we can get our digital transformation strategy faster better than the 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 old competitors we're going to make a bigger killing there than what we lose you know from from you know new digital disruptor startups clones so um, in many cases, the bigger fight will be between who does a better, faster digital transformation, as far as you and I, the end users, concerned, uh, versus the the, uh, the the legacy competitors that don't you know don't get it and don't want to change.
2: And the the picture that's painted here of of not only the requirement to um, dramatically rethink the sales organization's sales function. Uh, but the distributor function at the same time, mm-hmm. um, and basically for manufacturers to get into the business of understanding how to directly interact with customers. Yeah, at least for part of it's a um, uh, Bruce. I, I think you've. Uh, if nothing else, you should have hoped uh, or should have served to uh, scare most of our <laughs> listeners today, and uh, uh, and uh, but I think more uh, hopefully uh, give them a lot of information uh, to really help inform as uh, how to think about the way forward, and and, and key to this uh, disintermediating and reintermediating the distribution channel and understanding the changes that need to happen in terms of the sales function. Um, it, it, key to that is understanding uh, the profitability at that SKU or per customer level. So um, I hope I've done a decent job there, Bruce, in kind of connecting some of these dots.
0: All I would say is, you know, from a distributor's point of view, you know, you want to go out to your 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 biggest, most net profitable customers and say, look, uh, and talk to the millennials. Don't talk to the old boys; they just say everything's fine. You talk to the millennials and say, going forward. Let's imagine how we could interact and what what's causing you pain. I mean, it's every digital disruptor, all they're really doing is going to the end user and saying, hey, what slows you down, pisses you off, whatever, well, there now are off the shelf digital tools in the cloud that we can use to take away those pain things which used to be accepted because with human beings and paper and trade credit, whatever, the 100-year-old model, you, that's just the way the world works. Is, you know, we can't take away that pain or speed things up, but with digital, you can. Once they own the eyeballs, so Edmonds for cars, or Zillow for houses, or Airbnb for rentals, or you know, Expedia for how you, whatever you want to travel. Once they own the eyeballs, they turn around and they make the 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 suppliers pay. You know, with advertising or whatever, or kickbacks. Um, Amazon uniquely has said we're going to go, we're going to build. Uh, infrastructure, physical, logistical infrastructure, all the way back to the producers in Asia uh, to, you know, create a, a full customer value channel, not a product push, you know, wholesale channel. Um, and, you know, we can't, we're not, we don't want to go after every item. it only what fits through our infrastructure, but we'll continue to, you know, add bulk storage and partners to it. As long as we control the eyeballs, we'll continue to, to, to build out Our new infrastructure which is totally 100 percent customer centric as opposed to when you talk to the factories they say oh our shareholders won't like that oh our our, our brass who you know have magic acts because of what they know the last 40 years they're not going to like that or distributor they're not going to like oh the sales force they're not going to like that it's not about being sales force centric the number one driving force is you've got to be end customer centric and follow that all the way back and unweave and reweave these channels. And there still will, as I said, be a place. Like there, retail's not getting wiped out. There's but there's going to be a new dynamic equilibrium that's, that's reached, you know, between these, these two competing, you know, customer value channel from you and me and our screens and doorsteps of choice backwards to the people who've traditionally pushed stuff out.
2: Bruce, I just think it's um that's a great place to end today's today's episode. Is just that that really strong highlight on the fact that really in some ways the mind um, shift that needs to happen here is one to shift from an organizational centric uh, perspective. To, frankly, just a more human-centered approach. Because um, in the and, end, it's and, the people that matter. Because that's and cause that's what's driving it. And, and even though every, every marketer and every, frankly, uh, C-suite executive will love to talk about being customer-focused. Uh, but I think you just illustrated in just a couple of quick seconds as how to, sometimes that talk doesn't actually meet the uh, uh, the action. The, you know when the rubber meets the road, that doesn't actually translate. Um, and uh, so I think that mind shift in and of itself is uh, needs to happen in order to power uh, all of the other change that needs to take place in order to survive this disruption that's ahead.
0: Well, you know, and it, just an interesting anecdote. For years, Jeff Bezos at every meeting had an empty chair with customer on it. He said they have the loudest voice in the room. And when they would go after different categories of B two C products, um, they would hire people in the industry. And these people would say, "Oh no, you can't do that." He said, Jeff said, "Fire them! Fire, fire them!" I'm I'm sorry. You know, they they are so contaminated. Their whole world view has been you know baked into a you know the hundred year old ancient push the product out to the marketplace point of view we got to get people to say you know we're going to break this down we're going to go the other way and um uh, so that it's hard to it's 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 a huge sea change
2: absolutely Bruce, uh, thank you so much for uh, for sharing your insights today it's been great to chat with you and uh uh, I wish you all the best. I, I hope to uh, to reconnect with you uh, again soon. I think there's uh, lots more for us to talk about, and maybe even feature you on a on another episode of the Cooler Rings soon.
0: Okay. Well, and speaking of connecting, if any of the listeners want to go to on, on LinkedIn, my full name is and Dudley, D. Bruce Merrifield Jr. Just find me and you know connect with me, and then follow my posts and my articles because I'm 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 sending stuff out on a regular basis about what we talked today.
2: And we'll be sure to link that up in the, in the show uh, when we go live and our listeners will be able to, uh, to, to, to click and find you for sure. Thanks so much, Bruce. Great. All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. All right. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash The Cooler Ring. That's k u l a slash the cooler ring.